You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah again, Nehemiah chapter 2 tonight, and doing some more review. And uh, if you would, if you're there, let's go ahead and stand. And let's stand and read the scripture out of respect for God's word. Nehemiah chapter 2. And we'll read the first four verses here tonight. Nehemiah 2 verse 1 it says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's the phrase that we're going to be focusing on, that verse. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Let's, Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your truth tonight, your word that we have it preserved for us. I pray that you'd help us as we do some review, that it wouldn't seem too redundant tonight, but you would maybe help us to see some things anew, to see some things fresh that that we may not have caught the first time we went through. And I pray that you would help us to have open hearts and uh, minds and, and willing spirits tonight, that you would help us to see where the truth and the leadership and the heart of Nehemiah might apply to us. Lord, bless our time. Thank you for uh, your word, and I pray that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you for standing. So tonight we're, we're going to spend one more night reviewing Nehemiah. This is a series that we actually begun uh, last spring, and uh, I, I set it aside through the summer. We're picking it back up to tonight, or the, actually in the fall here. Last week we reviewed four main points from chapter one, and tonight we're going to look at two more points that we've, we kind of have already covered in chapter two, but I'll be going into them in uh, a little bit more detail tonight. Before we get to that, though, I want, to, I want to give you a review of the background of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah, as we come to uh, Nehemiah 1, he's a Jew. He's living in Persia. And uh, the Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. So uh, many, uh, his job was to check the king's cup and to check the king's food for poison and make sure that the king was safe. He had a very important job. And uh, last week we, we went over some things about Nehemiah that I think were very helpful for us as we, as we study the character of Nehemiah and that he had an important job that he did faithfully and it's important for us to remember he was not on, on staff, church staff. He was a layman. He was just doing his job working in the, for the king and, and checking the king's wine and checking the king's food to make sure it wasn't poisonous And it's important for us to understand that God's not just looking for someone that gets paid to do his work. He's looking for somebody that has a heart for God and a heart for God's people and a heart for God's work. 
And, and honestly, I look around the room and I see a lot of people in here that have a heart for God, you have a heart for God's people, and you have a heart for God's work, and you don't get paid by the church to do it. And I'm thankful that we have a lot of examples even in this room, and really there are just a couple of examples in this room, Miss, Miss Judy and I, who get paid by the church on a full-time basis. The rest of you are volunteers, and I just want to say thank you. I mean, thank you for being the kind of people that love God's work enough that your arm doesn't have to be twisted to get involved and to, and to jump in and to come to a children's ministry meeting and, and to do the policies and follow them uh, with all your heart. I'm just grateful that we have a heart full, or I'm sorry, a church full of people with a heart for God. It's a blessing, I'm telling you. It means a lot uh, to this pastor that we have people that are willing to serve God the way that you do. I'm grateful for it. And so, Nehemiah, the point of all of this was was to show that Nehemiah was the right man for the job at the right time, but it wasn't because he was on staff. It's because he had a heart for God. So many of the Jews had gone back to Jerusalem 80 years earlier to reestablish the temple and to begin the worship of the temple again. Ezra, Ezra had led a group 12 years before Nehemiah back to kind of reestablish the temple worship, but there are still no walls around Jerusalem. So for about 80 years... Jerusalem is just sitting unprotected. And because of that, the, the report that Nehemiah gets is that it, Jerusalem is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And when he hears that, it pricks him to the heart and he thinks somebody's got to do something about this. Uh, somebody has to go and, and, and fix the walls and, and why not me, Lord? I mean, what a, what a great thing to tell the Lord. Why not me, Lord? You know, we look at Nehemiah's life and we don't say, well, he was the most qualified for the job. Uh, he wasn't, we're not told that he was a builder. Uh, he, he would test food and he was, and he was more likely to be on Top Chef than on an HGTV show. He was more likely to be eating food and drinking and, and testing food than he was building a house. But he had a heart for God and he had a heart for God's people and he had a heart for God's work. So he was the right man in the right place at the right time. And God called him to take up this task. He has such a love for God's house that he sits down and he weeps, we're told. He mourns, he fasts, and he prays. And last week we read his prayer. We won't do that tonight. But this wonderful prayer about how much God's people need God in chapter 1. And that's his response to, to hearing about the burden. And that prayer was a help to us last week to know that Nehemiah didn't see the broken down walls as a physical problem he saw them as a spiritual problem. Uh, he didn't immediately start looking up uh, wall-building instructions. No, he got on his knees and he prayed to God and he fasted and he mourned and he sought God's face because broken down walls are not a sign of poor construction. They're a sign of a broken relationship with God. So he started by praying. And that's a good lesson for us as well, is that the foundation of Eastside Baptist Church and the foundation of our lives should never start with something physical. It should always start with a spiritual searching and, and reaching for and following and desiring God. He's the first stop along the way to establish a spiritual foundation. We go to God first. Nehemiah was a fine example of that. Ian e. Bounds in his book, Power Through Prayer, said the church is looking for better methods God is looking for better men. Nehemiah was one of those better men. 
It wasn't about methods for God. It wasn't about, well, I've got to find the guy with the most experience building walls. No, he was looking for somebody who had a heart for him. And I'm grateful for that because what that means, folks, tonight, and I don't want to re-preach the message, but I may re-preach the message. What it means tonight is that you aren't the most qualified to do something for God based on your trade or your experience. If you have a heart to seek God and to walk with God and to know that one true God like we talked about this morning, God could use you to do great things for Him. It's not about personality and it's not about... Uh, your experience and it's not about your skill level it is about your heart for God God's not looking for better methods he's looking for better men God is still looking for better men and better ladies he's looking for better leaders and better servants who will only serve God in the best way they know how it wasn't about Nehemiah's skills or leadership his resume was probably short but he loved God with all his heart and he was passionate about God's work being done the right way just so happens that he's also the king's cupbearer, which means he had access to resources that no one else had access to. And that leads us to chapter 2, which is when Nehemiah begins to put out feelers to the king about getting his blessing to return. So to this point in our story, Nehemiah has just heard the burden, he's prayed to God, and he kind of sits on the call. He kind of sits on the burden and he lets it fester or he, or he thinks about it for a while uh, before he just goes and starts to do something for it. As we go through this, the big point that I want to reiterate is this. If you want to build something that lasts, timing is everything. If you want to build something that lasts, it always comes down to timing. And we'll see that the way that Nehemiah works through this is I think that we see how true that is. Because and if you've ever built anything, and I've built something before with a lot of help from my friends, but, uh, because I'm not really just a natural builder, but I do know that if you move too fast, things aren't done right and something gets missed. Um, I, I've heard it, I, carpenters say something like, measure twice, cut once. If you measure once, you're going to cut twice. And you're probably going to have to get some more material to go back and, and fix the first cut. So measure twice, cut once. If you move too fast, you're likely to miss something. But on the other hand, there's a balance because if you move, move too slowly, then you might miss the window in which it should have been finished. See, Timing can be everything when you're building something to last. You don't just throw material together and throw it together as quickly as you can and that won't last. You also, though, don't let it sit out in the elements too long for, because then it becomes compromised. And that's, that's happened to, to people building a home before. Maybe they wait to make a decision or, or they wait a little bit too long and then the weather sets in and now what are you going to do? That happened to us uh, uh, when we were building our house. We, 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 we had somebody delay the process uh, for framing, and then we couldn't get the framing done in time to put the roof on, and then all the spring rains came, and it's like it didn't stop raining for about two months. And if we had just had somebody that was on top of it working on the schedule that they needed to work on, uh, we wouldn't have had to see the house and the pad just sit there for two months compromised and, and exposed to the elements. You know, that's true in building. It's also true in God's work. Nehemiah heard about the condition of Jerusalem and he was moved to do something about it. But what's interesting to me is that he doesn't just move right away. He doesn't just jump in. It does, and now it doesn't mean the call was invalid. It just meant the timing wasn't right. 
And sometimes that happens where you know that something's valid and you know you need to do something, but the timing may not be right. But what I want to start with tonight, the point that I want to make first is that timing doesn't nullify the call. Timing doesn't nullify the call. Um, chapter 2 begins about four months after Nehemiah had heard about the wall. For some reason, and we don't know why, but he waits to approach the king about going to Jerusalem. And there, there are a few reasons why he may have waited, and it could have been the time of year, it could have been winter time, and, and some people say, well, it, was, it wasn't a good time to, to try to take that endeavor. It, it could have simply been because uh, you don't just waltz into the king's chambers with a request unless you've been invited uh, it, it could be that he was formulating a plan or, or trying to think of, a, of the best way to approach it. We don't know why. Whatever the reason was, though, for his delay, one major idea that we need to recognize from Nehemiah as a leader is he still has the same passion for the work four months after the call. In, he, in other words, just because God's timing doesn't move very quickly, uh, it doesn't mean that Nehemiah is like, oh, well, that must have been invalid. Look at verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. So what does that mean? Well, what it means to me is that four months later, Nehemiah is still heartbroken about the wall. In other words, four months later, it's not like Nehemiah said, well, that was a burden for four months ago. I've moved on to something else. No, he still has a burden for what God led him uh, or prompted him to think about. He's not got past this. See, our human nature is that we get excited when something is new and we're we're pumped up about it and we're ready to jump on board and we're we're ready to go, but soon it loses its shine. You've been there before. I've known many young people and I was this young person myself. You go to camp or you go to youth conference and you make some emotional decision and about serving the Lord. Now, let me be careful. I'm not saying that every decision made in those situations is emotional. That's not it at all. But I do know that as a teenager, when I would make a decision, when God would work on my heart about it, uh, if it didn't come easy right away, I would move on to something else. And I didn't have the right perspective and I didn't think about the fact that God's call that night or that morning, wherever I was at camp or at youth conference, was still valid when I started school. The problem was when I started school and I'm walking the halls of those pub- that public school, it suddenly got a little bit harder. And when it got hard, then I suddenly started thinking, well, that call wasn't as, in- as valid as I thought it was back then. Well, no, the call is still just as valid just because circumstances change or just because timing is different, adults can be that way too. You ever made a decision and an invitation for the Lord? You felt like God really prompted you about something and then a few weeks later, you're like, oh wait, I forgot I made that decision. You kind of forget about it. You, you lose sight of the call. Man, we just got back from men's retreat. Have you already lost sight of what God moved in your heart about? It was just a couple of weeks ago and yet we get busy with life and the timing Things don't maybe come as quickly as we think, and then we just move on. If God prompted you about something four months ago, it's still valid today. If you were prompted, and I, I want to say this, and I, wanna, I, I think that we ought to hear this more, but if you've been prompted about something in a message or in a missionary pro- presentation, and maybe a seed was planted in your mind, young or old, that God may want you to serve Him on a mission field somewhere, Don't dismiss that as just being an emotional response to a missionary presentation. 
We need some good men and women that will surrender their lives to go tell people around the world of the gospel that have never heard it. And yet it seems these days in America that we're pretty comfortable where we are and you don't see very many people surrendering to the mission field anymore. God help us and move in us and work in us to have a heart for souls because I think about those souls in other places. When I stop and think about a soul in India and think, well, what if that was my son? What if that was my daughter? What if that was my wife? What if that was a family member or someone that I loved? Would I want someone to be prompted in a missionary presentation about the possibility of surrendering their lives to mission, missions but get busy at work and four months later forget that God ever moved in their hearts? Well, no, I wouldn't want that at all. We need, if God moves in us and prompts us, then we need to d- decide that this is valid today just as much today as it was 10 years ago. If God prompts you, it's still valid Don't assume that just because it doesn't happen right away that the prompting wasn't legitimate or that God's desires for you have faded. That's not the case. Nehemiah did what he knew to do until the time was right. I love this about him. Look again in verse 1. It says, the wine wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. You realize that while he's waiting, Nehemiah still works? While he's waiting for the big stuff, Nehemiah is still doing the basics. He's still at his position. He's still doing his job. He hasn't said, well, God God wants me to build a wall. So until that comes to fruition, I'm going to go home and I'm just going to sit and wait for that to happen. No, in the meantime, Nehemiah is still working. He's still serving. He's still saying, I I know that these are the basics and they don't seem as big as the wall, but I'm going to keep the little stuff up because the little stuff leads to bigger stuff. See, while waiting for the big, he kept doing the small. The big was the walls. The small was that daily job, that little stuff that he had to do. One of my favorite quotes or questions in the Bible is in Zechariah 4.10. It says, for who hath despised the day of small things? Sometimes we get used to the idea that the small things don't matter as much. But you know, you get down to the end of your life and the small things start to matter a lot more. You get, I've, I've sat at the bedside of people and, and when, when at their, their bedside, they weren't talking about their 401k. They weren't talking about accomplishing a lot at work or about the, the wealth that they amassed or, or the projects that they completed at their job. They're talking about a memory with a child as they sit around the bed. They're talking about the small things. And parents, let me just say this to you tonight. Uh, we get wrapped up in the big things, and, and before we realize it, our, the small moments with our children are gone. Maybe in this busy culture, it's time for some parents to set aside all the stuff that we've got going and take some time and spend time. Those of you with children out of the house know you'd probably raise your hand and say amen to that, wouldn't you? Take the time for the small things, because who hath despised the day of the small things? A lot of people do. A lot of people think, well, I'm just here for the big stuff. We had people, I, I remember very clearly, in, at Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater, we would have big events and these big things were coming. And for a couple months before those big events, people would show up and they'd be all in and they'd be dedicating themselves and committing themselves to being involved. And yet, when it came time for church the next Sunday morning, where are they now? The big stuff got them pumped up. The big stuff got them excited. But they despise the small things. We get so impatient 
wait impatient, waiting for the significant stuff to happen, that we stop being faithful in the small things. I think of applications here at our church. There are, there are things to improve. Yeah, with the children's ministry meeting that we had yesterday, and uh, that, those seem like a lot of small things, and, and we've got to implement those policies, get everybody on the same page. And that was, a big, that was a meeting. It was a big event. Well, now it's time to make sure that we follow through with the small things because a big meeting like that, uh, an event like that, and, you, and you, know, you have a meeting and people come out and this is really good, but if we don't in the small things on Sunday, like this morning, if we haven't started implementing those things, then we miss out on the big stuff too. The small things matter. The little things matter. We've got to move, in the, as we move in the right direction, we're not where we could be yet. There are still areas to raise the bar. But in the meantime, folks, do the basics. Do what you know. There are other areas I'd love to see our church develop and grow in uh, the, some bigger things. But listen, sometimes God just wants to see, uh, can I trust them with something big if, if I can't trust them to be faithful to the small things? I mean, if they're not going to come um, to services or if they're not going to, to study their Sunday school lesson early in the week so it's really ready, if they're not going to take the time to really be prepared for that special music, if they're not going to do, be committed to be in their place when, the, when it's time to be in the nursery, uh, how could I trust them with something bigger? The Bible says, he that's faithful in little will be faithful in much. Sometimes I think we miss out on the big stuff because we can't just be committed to the small things while we're waiting on the big things. While you wait on God's timing to become clear, fill the time by doing the things that you know to do. Some people are in limbo phase and you're in a time of transition and you feel unsettled about something. I don't know what it is, but while you're waiting, do the basics. And you say, well, I want to serve in a class or, or, or I want to teach or help and I'm just waiting on that to come. Well, while you're waiting on that, Attend services faithfully. And, and when it comes time to maybe you stepping into a role, then we can look at your track record and say, they've proven themselves in the small things. Now it's time to do something bigger. While you're waiting to find you singles here tonight, you're waiting to find your future spouse. Get involved in the college class. Be faithful. Read your Bible. Uh, go on outreach with Brother, with, with Brother Vargas when he goes on Saturdays. Do the small things. Do the basics while you're waiting. And, and, and then God usually will say, I know I can trust them with the small things, so here's what they've been waiting for. While you're trying to discern God's will for your future, be sure to give. Giving is, is not just a, a preacher standing up and saying, hey, I, I need to line the pocket, my pockets here. No, it's a Christian basic. It's not about me benefiting from that. It's not about our church benefiting it's about you benefiting because you obey. While you're waiting, do something. Do the basics. But as a balance, while you're waiting on God's timing, don't assume that you're no longer supposed to do what you were prompted to do. God may prompt you to do something, and ten years later, it still hasn't happened. It doesn't mean that you give up on that and you say, well, obviously that's not what I'm supposed to do. Nehemiah knew that in order to build something that lasts, you wait for the right time. Just because the timing doesn't meet our expectations, don't assume that the call is nullified. We just need to tr learn to trust God's timing. And I am so bad at trusting God's timing. I, I want to push forward and I want to do things uh, on my own time and I want to just get it done. But, but we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit will usually give us a green light if it's time. But until then, don't move ahead of him. But also, until he, uh, while he has the red light in front of you, don't assume that, he, that, he's, that it's no longer valid and you can forget about what he prompted you about. What I've learned from Nehemiah is there, there's great wisdom in the wait. There is. Nehemiah had a burden, but he knew it was doomed to fail if God's timing was not involved. So he waits for the opportunity that the Lord presents, and then he moves. And it's a good lesson for all of us, especially in God's work. While we're waiting on the big things, don't neglect the little things. Verse 1 again, he says, Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. See, this speaks to Nehemiah's consistency. See, once again, we, we, just that statement is a proof that Nehemiah, the little things matter to Nehemiah. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, if, if he had never once before been sad in the king's presence, that means that Nehemiah was consistent. That means that Nehemiah wasn't the kind of guy, well, you know, traffic was bad on the way to the palace that morning, and he's just flustered, and he's angry, and, and he's mad. No, every day that he served the king, he'd had a cheerful countenance. He was consistent. It speaks to his consistency that even in something as small as his countenance, Nehemiah was consistent. The little things mattered to him. But this request, though, also speaks to his courage. By, by him just being willing to be transparent to the king, it, 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 expressing sadness to the king, that's a dangerous proposition. That's not the kind of thing that you could just do and not worry about. Nehemiah tells us it's dangerous in verse 2. Where, where it says, wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And here's what he says, then I was very sore afraid. He would not have been afraid unless he knew that being sad in the king's presence put him at risk. I'm thankful, though, that Nehemiah was willing to be transparent because the work mattered that much. You know, if you want to build something that lasts, you can't allow fear to hinder your work. And there's a lot of people uh, that do not serve where they should serve because they're afraid of something. You know, outreach is a big deal. Inviting people to church, talking to them, giving them the gospel. There may not be a more Christian basic. I mean, besides church attendance and giving, there may not be a more Christian basic than being a good witness. I'm just telling you. I mean, in the Bible, you, you, you read the Great Commission, the mission of Eastside Baptist Church is to fulfill the Great Commission. That's what we're to be doing. And yet there's a lot of people that, that, that don't ever invite anybody else, and their primary reason is they're afraid. They've got fear. Trust me, I know. I, I, and I, when I go and I knock on a door where I, I'm get, about to hand somebody a track uh, at the store, and I'm about to hand them uh, that, that invitation, my heart beats faster. It just does. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a little scary. I, I, I wish it wasn't like that. When I go to a door and I'm knocking, my heart is racing. What, who's going to answer? What are they going to say? What's their response going to be? Uh, but, but fear has never been an excuse not to do the basics. Not to serve God the way we're, we're supposed to. There are some of you, and tonight you're thinking, I would like to be involved in children's ministry but I don't think I could stand up and teach those children. I don't know that I could stand up there and do that. And you're afraid of it. And yet God, if God's prompting you, he'll enable you for that. Some of you are, are, are not willing to take risks for the Lord. You're afraid of something. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. But if you believe strongly enough 
in the work of God and you have a heart for God and His people, then you cannot allow fear to hinder that. That that heart for God and for His people and for His work is bigger than what you're afraid of. And I'm telling you, some of the most equipped people I've ever known, they struggle with fear and they miss out on being used. And I'm not saying that I'm not thankful for those that aren't as equipped, but I feel bad or sad on behalf of the person that is very equipped to do something big for the Lord, but they're too afraid to step out and do it. This interaction in verse 4 kind of starts to lead us uh, to Nehemiah's mindset. The king says, look down in verse 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So obviously, um, Nehemiah in verse 3 kind of, um, he, he, he gives him the rundown. He says, Jerusalem is in shambles. The city of my fathers, the, the father of the sepulchers, it's, it's kind of consumed with fire. It lieth waste. The king says, well, okay, well, what do you need? And, and I, I love Nehemiah's response. And this is kind of leading to the second main point tonight. He said, what is that, for what does thou make request? And Nehemiah said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, this is interesting and it's helpful to us. Nehemiah knows that without God's involvement in this interaction, everything could fall apart. You realize that? Nehemiah, by me and not Nehemiah praying, he was telling us, he's, he's giving us an example of the fact that he was dependent on God for even the small interactions. His response is the second point tonight, and that is that timing doesn't just apply to the big things. Timing doesn't just apply to the big problems. Nehemiah waits four months for God's timing to ask the king, but notice what he does when the king responds. He prays. I mean, think about that. He's had four months. He's had four months to formulate a plan. He's had four months to come up uh, with with all the things that he wants to do and and the plan and the order and everything that he wants to take place. And, And he probably has all the requests lined out in his mind. He's given the the king information about the city and and he's probably just ready to say okay here's what i need i need this and i need that and i need this and i need that here you go here's my list you know when your children come to you and they're they're acting nice to you and they're snuggling up to you around the beginning of november and you say what do you want and boom here comes the christmas list they pull it right out they've been thinking about it since march it's like a phone book. I'll explain what a phone book is to the young generation later. Bad illustration. Nobody uses those anymore. But Nehemiah, it's interesting, even after four months, he waits again. Nehemiah, the king's like, okay, well, what, do you, what, is thou, what does thou make request? What do you want me to do? And Nehemiah doesn't just blurt anything out. He stops and waits again. For four months, he's waited. Don't you imagine for four months, he's prayed? For four months he has sought the Lord. For four months that, that he has, he's gone to God and he's begged God for help and he's begged God for wisdom. And, and yet, even in this small interaction, he's still waiting for God's timing. Only this one isn't four months. This one is maybe four seconds. Four months, he waits, he seeks God, he, he depends on God, but four seconds he does too. See, God's timing is essential for anything that matters. If it's big enough, we don't have a choice but to wait. We have to depend on God. We couldn't make it happen if we wanted to. But where I think we fail is not in waiting for the big stuff to happen. Where I think we fail is not waiting 
in the small things. See, here's the principle. We're good at trusting God's timing for the things we can't control. But we have a tendency not to involve God in the things we can control. When it's a big deal and it's out of my hands and I can't do anything about it, I can't do anything except trust God and ask Him for His help. In, the, in this case, Nehemiah trusts God for four months. There's nothing to do but wait. He has to come up with a plan. Walls are a huge undertaking. You need God for that. It's, if it's big, we have to trust God. But Nehemiah's example proves that he also trusted God in the small things when he prayed to the God of heaven. He stops and he prays. Because in his mind, based on his example, there's no interaction too small for God. Now, there's no project too big for God, but there's no interaction too small for God. And by that, I mean there's no problem in your life that God is not interested in. Big or small. Nehemiah's prayer response shows us that he knew that. And I'm just going to be transparent tonight. I'm not nearly as worried about myself waiting on God's timing for something that might take four months. Something that's too big for me to go figure out today anyway. I'm not nearly as afraid about waiting on God's timing for the four-month problem as I am trusting myself to wait on God for the four-second interactions with people. In other words, it's not just the big obstacles that hinder God's work. It could be the small interactions. See, we have to trust God both big and small. Those big things, those four-month obstacles or problems, they're big. We have to be patient. I have to wait. I mean, if I'm going to do a big project and I've got a long road ahead of me, I can't just get it all done in a day. I'm going to have to work on it for a while. I think about getting out of debt. We've got a, you know, a lot of young couples in, in, in this country uh, who are kind of swimming in debt because they maybe saw what their parents had when their parents were 50 or plus, and they think, well, I've got to have that right now. So rather than wait on it and save for it and, and wait to have and build up to that, they go out and they want to be what they want to have what people have in their 50s when they're 25. So they charge everything and they, they, they pile up credit card debt and they've got all these consumer debt and they've got, they've got a big hole to get out of. That's a four-month problem. You're not going to fix that overnight. You're just not. You have to trust God for something like that. You have to ask Him to help you and help you to do better and, and, and to make some good decisions. If you've got some health needs tonight, if you know somebody that has a health crisis Listen, that's a four-month problem. You can't fix that overnight. You have to trust God for that. It's too big for you. Think about raising children. Ra children, I mean, that's a four-month obstacle. Really, it's much longer than four months. But you know the picture. The picture is this four-month category. Raising children is a long, a long and sometimes arduous road. But it, it, you have to trust God for it. It's too big for us. It's too big for me. I want my children to grow up and love and serve God with all their hearts. And if that's going to happen, I have to seek Him. I have to pray for my children every day. I have to pattern uh, the, the kind of example I want them to be as a Christian. I have to parent them in a way that God is pleased with. It's a long process. These are so big, you have to trust God because they're too big for us. But it's the four-second interactions that worry me the most. Nehemiah didn't jump ahead of God when it came to ask, time to ask the king the four second interactions are often done, here's the thing, they're often done in our own strength because they seem small enough for us to handle. The four month obstacles 
are so big, we let God handle those. The four-second interactions, those see are small enough that we think, oh, I've got a handle on this. I can take care of this one. I don't necessarily need God. I mean, in my experience, it's the four-second problems that hinder God's work the most. It's the four-second interactions, more than the four-month problems, because when it's out of our hands, we can't do much anyway. We have to trust God. But when it's on, when it's on the tip of our tongues, that's when we tend to move ahead of God. When it's something within my strength, when it's within my grasp, So the four-month obstacles are those things that we depend on God for. The four-second interactions are those things that we're like, I got this in my own strength. So you tell me which are more likely to take down a church. The four-second interactions. The ones in which God's people start to think they got a handle on this. And they move ahead of God. And rather than stopping to pray and ask God for wisdom in an interaction or a wisdom in a small decision, they move ahead of God and they find themselves in trouble. It's not always the big things that take us down. It's the small things that can be more dangerous. It reminds me of Acts 28. The Apostle Paul, he gets, he gets uh, through a shipwreck. Maybe you remember this story. He gets through a shipwreck, and after the shipwrecks, and everybody survives, and they get to the land, they're cold and they're wet, and they're collecting wood for fire, and he reaches down to grab a stick, and what happens? He gets bit in the hand by a viper. It's like he survives a shipwreck, and now he's going to go be taken down by a snake bite. And I think that's a good picture of what we're talking about here. See, we know we have to trust God when it's a problem too big for us to handle like a shipwreck. But when it comes down to it, we're not too worried about what's in the grass. And a lot of times, God's people are so concerned about the big stuff that they forget God wants to lead you, His Holy Spirit wants to guide you in every small interaction, four seconds, with somebody else or a decision that you're making. It's just as important to trust God in the small things as it is the big things. The small things are more likely to take you down. I think about the four-month, four-second comparison. I think about, in a personal application, training my children. As we've already talked about training children, that's a four-month obstacle. That's a four-month problem. I mean, and not really a problem, it's a challenge. That's a four-month challenge. That's one of those things I've got to trust God for. And, and I want to train my children right. I want them to grow up in love and serve God, as I've already said. But if, if I focus so much on the training, the four-month four training, their, their lifelong training, but I never deal with the four-second problem that I have of getting angry and dealing with them in anger, then I'll likely not ever see them accomplish the four-month challenge of growing up to be godly children or godly adults. Because in their mind, well, my dad raised me with anger, and I don't know that I want a part of that. See, the four, it's not the four-month um, four obstacle of training them the right way that, 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 was the, that was the downfall. It was the fact that in those four-second interactions, I couldn't, as a dad, handle my anger with my kids. It's not always the big stuff that takes us down. The four-month obstacle, uh, uh, and on a personal level, of, I already said a debt payoff. We've already talked about that a little bit. You know, it's a big, there are some with, with massive student loans and you've got, health, uh, you've got health debt and maybe, you know, just sickness and 
hospital stays and you've got debt, and sometimes it's consumer debt, whatever it is. You've got these things that seem so big, and those are four-month obstacles. They're huge, and you want to focus on those. But listen, paying off debt usually does not come down to paying off the whole thing at once because you can't. It comes down to when you're driving home from work and you're hungry and that Taco Bell sign is calling your name. Or the Heath. He's a big Taco Bell fan. I had to throw that in there. It's the only amen he said all night. Okay. But see, it's not the four-month debt payoff that usually takes us down. It's the fact that in four-second decisions, we can't be disciplined enough to make the right decisions. It's the small things that prevent us from getting where we want to go. And I think about this for our church. I'm going to apply this to our building debt. And I'd love to see that paid off. If you know somebody that wants to do that anytime, we would gladly, well, we'd pray about it, but we'd gladly accept it pretty quickly. So, And that's a big problem. I mean, it's a big challenge, I should say. We've got to pay that thing off. And we can't right away, but we're going to have to trust God over time to do that. But, you know, the four-second interactions as a church family, like treating each other with kindness, that's more likely to diminish the advancement of God's kingdom through Eastside Baptist Church than the fact that it takes us a few years to pay off our building debt. That we can't interact with each other with kindness, that's much more likely to be a bigger problem than our debt. Four-month obstacle would be something like producing disciples. And we want to make disciples and produce them and, and, and have young people and older people and people that get saved take them through some kind of a training and, and help them on the other side to be someone that's like Christ and serving and fruitful. Um, those four-month obstacles are going to take time. But if we can't deal with a four-second interaction like gossiping about each other, I mean, God's work will be hindered if we don't make disciples, but it could be ruined if we can't control our tongues. Four-month obstacles like reaching our community, it's going to take years, and we won't reach everybody, but we ought to do what we can. But a four-second problem like a critical spirit, that outreach is ineffective if God's people don't have a Christ-like spirit. They're going to walk in here and sense something and be like, I'm not sure I want to go back there. You know, I'm not saying these are problems that we have right now. I'm just saying we've, we've got to be careful not to think that the big mountains are what is going to stop us from being all we're supposed to be. It's very often a snake hiding in the grass. Four-month obstacle like, uh, you know, more organized programs and kind of getting everybody on the same page. But a four-second interaction like an unwillingness to work with one, somebody else, a certain person. I mean, programs will not do us much good if we don't cooperate together. Four-month obstacle is something like, well, more people, we want to get more people out there and, and inviting people. But a four-second problem is if we, if we do that without praying and depending on God for his help as we talk. You never assume that the work we do is effective without God's help. We need him. A four-month asset like a building. Man, this is nice. This is big. I'm grateful for it. But a four-second hindrance is a spirit of unfriendliness. A nice building will never overcome a lack of hospitality when people come in here. I'm telling you, uh, there are people that will come in here and they're going to be impressed with this building because it's beautiful. But if we don't go out of our way to greet them and make them feel welcome, um, the building is not going to matter much to them. We have a tendency to be better at trusting God for those big things than we are in the small things. 
But the small things could just as easily be our downfall because we're trying to handle them in our strength. Small things are big to God. I think about the mustard seed in Matthew 13. Faith is the grain of mustard seed. That's what it says. And you know what that can turn into? Something incredible. I think about that little boy in his lunch in John chapter 6. You know, five loaves, two fishes, and God turned that into a meal for thousands of people. I mean, those small things matter to God. They're important to God. It can also, though, be a bad thing. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1 says, Dead flies in the ointment ointment of the apothecary um, caused it to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly in him that is a reputation for wisdom and honor. So a small thing, it can be a good thing. But if we're not careful, it can also send forth a stinking savor and be just a little folly and give us a reputation that we don't have wisdom and honor in. Nehemiah knew that God's work was not likely to advance without a plan. But he was more convinced that God's work would not continue without prayer. We can have plans. I'm telling you, we can have children's ministry policies that everybody else wishes they had in place. But if we are a people that don't trust God in our daily interactions and service and worship, and we're doing it in our own strength, all the policies in the world can't outdo people that don't pray. Nehemiah has a great plan. We see it. We'll see he's already given it much thought. But in the moment, he does not replace prayer with his plan. We want great long-term four-month vision, but we also want a Christ-like prayerful four-second relationship with each other. How are we doing with those? Not just in the big things. How are we doing in the small things? Have we neglected the small things while we're waiting on something bigger? No, go to the basics. Are you trusting God for the big things but neglecting Him in the everyday matters? Are you focusing on all the big stuff and trusting God for it but not depending on Him for your small decisions? See, the work of God is more likely to be hindered when God's people fail to depend on Him for the things they can control than it is when they fail to depend on him for the things they can't control. That's much more likely. We're much more likely to be hindered by taking matters into our own hands for the small things than hindered because we don't trust God for the big things. And we've got to be mindful of the example Nehemiah gives. In a small interaction, he prayed. In a large time of waiting for God's timing, he prayed. He was a man that depended on God, small, big, it doesn't matter. Are we people depending on God for small, big, and everything in between? I hope that we can take the example of Nehemiah and and be just as dependent in the four-second interactions as we are in the four-month obstacles. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.